Hope you had a great afternoon and are excited about being back in our fifth of seven weeks of growth groups. And uh, handouts are already coming around, and you can take one of those, just a front and back sheet, and then we have some blanks for you if you would like those as well. Uh, but we've dealt with six of the spiritual uh, gifts uh, from Romans chapter number 12. And just to kind of give you an update on where we're going to be next week, um, next Sunday evening we'll be in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 through 14, and we'll be dealing with sign gifts next Sunday. So uh, if you've ever thought or maybe done a study on uh, the gift of tongues, the gift of healing, prophecy, that kind of thing, uh, we're going to be talking about that next Sunday evening. And then the last Sunday on the 19th, uh, we'll be dealing with the um, spiritual gift test. Uh, we'll talk about the, the gifts to the local church from Ephesians chapter 4 uh, in verse number 11 and 12. Uh, it talks about he gave some uh, prophets some or some pastors, evangelists, teachers. Uh, he gave some apostles, some pastors, some evangelists, some teachers. And then verse number 12, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, edifying of the body of Christ. Uh, we'll be talking about those two verses, what that means to the local church today. And then we'll take our spiritual gift test, uh, which will give you kind of an insight as to what your spiritual gift may be. And hopefully you will uh, have a good understanding of what that means. And maybe uh, the morning of the 19th, uh, we'll uh, talk about some service opportunities and maybe give you an opportunity to be able to plug into an area uh, that allows you to serve with your spiritual gift in mind. So uh, that's kind of the update what's coming over the next uh, couple weeks. Uh, so you can be looking forward to that. Um, We've dealt with six of the spiritual gifts so far. Remember, just by way of recap, uh, in Romans chapter 12, and you can go ahead and turn in your Bible there uh, if you have your Bible with you tonight. Uh, Romans chapter 12, uh, remember we dealt with prophecy, which is the fourth telling of spiritual truth. Uh, we dealt with the area of ministry, which is serving one uh, the gift of exhortation, uh, which is pushing people to Christ in a renewed way, uh, not in a negative way, not pushing people, but rather pointing people. Uh, we talked about teaching, uh, which is a desire to be accurate uh, in sharing truth while having and exercising self-control there. Uh, we talked about leadership and ruling, the ability to organize and uh, put people, things, and events in the proper order. And what that looks like if you have the gift of organization or the gift of uh, leadership or the gift of administration, depending on uh, who you read after. Uh, but tonight we're going to deal with the last spiritual gift, and only one tonight, uh, just because of the context and the content of it. Uh, this last spiritual gift is a must in the local church. And we'll, let's look at Romans chapter 12, verse number 6. It says, Having then gifts deferring according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith, or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth, let him do it with simplicity, he that ruleth with diligence. And here's the last one which we'll discuss tonight. He that showeth mercy with cheerfulness. Mercy with cheerfulness. If you have your handout there, uh, you'll see kind of the, the detailed description. Uh, it says that there are a church will not survive long term without some people within the church who have this spiritual gift. Uh, we have to have the spiritual gift of mercy evident in the local church. Why is that a big deal? 
uh, because we have to be a compassionate place. Uh, we have to have people who reach out. And you say, well, pastor, we're all supposed to do that. Yes, uh, but some people just go the extra mile. Uh, some people have that little bit of extra umph uh, when it comes to compassion and reaching out to other people. And, uh, there are people in this room that I, you don't even need a spiritual gift test. I can tell you uh, because mercy flows out of you. Uh, it's just the way our nature, when we have the spiritual gift of mercy, we can't hide that. And there are people who are attentive and watch over those who are in need, who are sensitive to their needs, show great compassion, and that all flows out of this gift. But people with the spiritual gift of mercy are willing to sacrifice in a great way, even if that means that may, they may personally suffer because of their sacrifice. And they accept the fact that as long as someone else is getting help, then they can accept. That's all they may ever do. I might need a, a different battery or a different uh, microphone before this is over, Brother Jamie. Uh, but they don't have to get what they want as long as they help someone. The spiritual gift of mercy. So here's a couple of questions that came from the book uh, to see if you may have a spiritual gift of mercy. Here we go. Do you have a heart for people? Do you have a heart for people? Do you have a desire to see people love one another to a greater degree? You have a desire to see people love one another to a greater degree. If so, you probably have the gift of mercy. Thank you, Brother Tim. All right, so let's dive right in. Number one is mercy in the body of Christ. Mercy in the body of Christ. The person who exhibited this more so than anyone else in the Gospels is John, the disciple John. He wrote more about love than any other of the Gospel writers. Let me go ahead and switch over to this. Uh, Brother Jamie, y'all bear with me just for a second, if you will. I'll get this thing clipped on. Is this Brother Harold's microphone? All right. All right, can y'all hear me? Are we there? All right, good deal. All right, I feel very spiritual wearing this microphone because it's Brother Harold's. Uh, so maybe this will help me when we get to Revelation. I should just wear Brother Harold's microphone, and uh, it'll give me great insight into the book. So, uh, but mercy in the body of Christ. Uh, John, the Apostle John, remember he called himself, the Lord allowed him to call himself in the Bible, the disciple who Jesus loved. He talked about the love nature of Jesus and described being uh, called by Jesus the beloved or the disciple who Jesus loved, looked at as the greatest accolade of his life. It was this great spiritual achievement that he attained to. And he's the one that said in 1 John chapter 4, verse number 7, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone that loveth is born of God and knoweth God. Which is kind of ironic when you think about the Apostle John, because remember when Jesus uh, called them, he didn't call them James and John. John and his brother James, he called them something significant, the sons of thunder, uh, because of their personality type, the sons of thunder. Yet John exhibited the spiritual gift of mercy more so than anyone else. Uh, I wrote down, how could someone with the spiritual gift of mercy be bold and strong? That kind of seems like it contradicts each other. Uh, it almost feels like uh, mercy is a girl's gift. I mean, just kind of frankly, uh, mercy should be a girl's spiritual gift. Uh, but isn't this gift for tender-hearted people? Uh, but 
uh, we see that uh, mercy in the body of Christ. Number two, we see nature of the gift of mercy. John saw love as an action, not an emotion. Uh, if you're familiar with the name, if I said the name Gary Smalley, did all kinds of seminars on marriage and uh, relationships, uh, used to say love is a decision. Love is a decision. It's not a feeling. It's not an emotion. It's a decision. I choose to love someone. If you were dating somebody, uh, Adam and Casey are getting married in a few months. Uh, if Adam looked at Casey one day and says, Honey, I love you so much, but I have no intention of ever marrying you. There would be a problem, all right? Uh, she may doubt whether or not he has true intentions. She may doubt whether or not what his definition of love, she may say, you might think love is one thing, but I see love totally different. Because love leads to a decision, and love is to be built upon. Love is an action, not an emotion. And love leads us to act. Uh, when we talk about loving the Lord Jesus Christ, remember he said, if you love me, Keep my commandments. When we love, it should lead us to do something. Uh, I love my neighbor. And when they're sick, I want to do something. Hey, let me let your dog out. Take your trash to the road. Cook you a meal. Uh, when someone in the church uh, goes to surgery. We have one of our men who's having surgery tomorrow morning. And uh, it should lead us to do something for that individual. Uh, when we have someone who is uh, hurting or emotional or going through stress in their life or something that's harmful to them, uh, we want to rally around them and show them how much we love them. It's a part of the word love. But what does God say in his word about love? What did God do? Most familiar verse in the Bible, John 3, 16. For God so loved that he what? Gave. There it is. Uh, so love leads us to give. John 15, 3. Greater love hath no man than this, than that a man would lay down his life. Jesus showed his love by dying for us. And so believers who have this spiritual gift will extend love by action. Doing something. Because of that, they're easy to spend time with. Uh, these are not controversial people. And we'll see that in just uh, a moment. But, uh, but they're some of the, the most easygoing, easy to get along with people in the local church. They don't like rocking the boat. Uh, they like getting along with everyone. Okay, uh, But let's look at some of the natures. Number one, they have an ability to feel the joy or distress of others. Now this is just kind of an uncanny thing. And, and I think it'll make sense because we all know people like this. They rarely have to ask, how are you doing? Because they already know. They can sense it. They can sense when there's a disruption in someone's spirit. They can sense when something is off. You ever had somebody, maybe you're walking quickly through a store, or you've had a rough day, and somebody stops you and says, hey, you doing okay? Uh, can I help you with something? Uh, is your, your day going all right? They sense... That something is off. They sense that you're not yourself. And that person is exhibiting this gift. This spiritual gift is the gift of mercy. Uh, because of this, they're usually drawn to people who are lonely or distressed or afraid, troubled. And when you look around the room and you're drawn to the person who's sitting by themselves, you're drawn to that person who doesn't have many friends in their life. You know, what does that require? When we talk about being that mercy-filled 
person, that person with that spiritual gift, what does it require to, for us to go out of our way? Philippians 2 verse 3. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. They don't get jealous when someone receives a blessing either. When someone is blessed or maybe God does something significant in their life and they're excited, they rejoice with them and can rejoice just as easy as they can mourn with someone. They have that ability. Number two, those with the gift of mercy are able to identify with others and vicariously experience what they're going through. Have you ever felt the hurt that someone else is feeling? Felt the grief that they feel? You can't explain it. Just, man, I just I feel what they're feeling. I, I, I feel just like they do. You're grieving with them. And in verse number 15 of Romans 12, we see an extension of this gift. Look down at verse number 15. It says, rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. We get the same feeling, that same emotion that someone else does. We're drawn to those who are under emotional stress and actively attracted to those individuals. See, this is, they know that just being with someone who is hurting is a tremendous help and support. It's coming alongside them. Have you ever had someone approach you without knowing and say, I don't know what you're going through, but I just want you to know I'm praying for you. I know that uh, I don't know what's going on. You don't have to tell me anything, but I just want to tell you that I'm praying for you today. Or maybe this upcoming week, someone reaches out and just says, you know, I, I, I don't know why, but I'm texting you, and I just want you to know, let you know that I prayed for you today. Or maybe next Sunday, hey, how was your week? I, one of the days this past week, you know, you were just on my heart, on my mind. The spiritual gift of mercy, they can sense when someone's hurting. It's not hocus pocus, but it's a spiritual gift. Something that God gives. Those with the spiritual gift of mercy, God has tuned their heart to other people in an effort to know that you're not alone. You don't have to be alone. They love people in distress. They love coming alongside. Those people that we might tend to run away from. You know, the ones who are unlovable. I think about someone who... Um, just a, a great example, someone who uh, says, man, we, Pastor, we need a ministry to the shut-ins. You wouldn't just think, all right, how are we going to grow our church? Or how are we going to uh, be involved and grow the local church? You wouldn't just think, well, man, let's have a ministry to shut-ins. Practically speaking, shut-ins have great value in the fact that they have a history with the church. But a lot of times they can't be present so from a practical standpoint, you may say, well, you know, pastor, they don't really have a lot of value because they're not here all the time. They're not really serving. But someone with a spiritual gift of mercy says, hey, we can't forget those people. Hey, they're still a vibrant part of the church. We can't neglect them. Uh, we have to make sure that they feel loved and involved and supported. The spiritual gift of mercy. It leans in to those who can't be present. The elderly, the handicapped, the seriously ill, those who are in nursing homes, those who have a wounded spirit, all of those are in tune with those who have the spiritual gift of mercy. Number three, those with the gift of mercy desire to alleviate hurt in others. Now, there's a contrast here with the spiritual gift that we've already dealt with. The spiritual gift of exhortation, someone has the ability to encourage with words. But the 
person with the gift of mercy, when the words are out, uh, or excuse me, uh, once the words are out with the person with exhortation, the individual is out as well. Hey, let me tell you something, encourage you, and then I'm going to go and encourage somebody else. The person with a spiritual gift of mercy takes time. And they sit and they mourn and they grieve with that person. And they're not moving until, we, until that person knows, hey, I can keep going. To so that person with the spiritual gift says, hey, I know that they're going to make it. They're not, they're not disconnecting until they know that that person can go on. That that person can continue. Uh, that person will sit in the ashes. We see about sackcloth and ashes in the uh, Old Testament where people would sit literally in the ash, cover their body in ash as a sign of mourning. A person with a spiritual gift of mercy would be sitting right there with them. Doesn't matter what, I'm wearing my white sneakers. Uh, doesn't matter. It's all about sharing that gift with someone else. Uh, their presence speaks volumes just being there. Uh, they see no benefit in pain, suffering, and sorrow. They just want to in, in, emphasize with their, or empathize with someone's hurt. Uh, fourthly, those with the gift of mercy are sensitive to statements and actions that may hurt others. They're very sensitive to the criticism of other people. Maybe they're standing in a crowd or a group of people and someone would in jest make a comment about someone else. And that person would say, hey, I wouldn't go that far. Or they come to that person's defense. Or they, hey, you know, uh, that, I don't think that was the right thing to say. Or, or I, I don't agree with what you said about them. They rise and rush to their defense because they're, hey, I, we, we can't talk bad about that person. It, it's not a thing of spiritual, I say this loosely, not a thing of spiritual maturity. It's exercising a spiritual gift. Saying, hey, I, I want to exercise who I am, who God's created me to be. And they get defensive when someone speaks negatively about someone that they love and care about. All of us should be that way by our nature, but it's ramped up with someone with a spiritual gift of mercy. They see the hurt that words can cause someone, and they can imagine their pain if they were in their shoes. Hey, if I was in their shoes, I would, man, that would be deeply hurtful. I don't want that said, so I'm going to rise to the defense of that person. Fifth, those with the gift of mercy have an ability to sense unconditional love and detect expressions of love that are insincere or hypocritical. They can tell, they can sense when they're unconditionally loved, when someone is unconditionally loved, but they can also sense when someone is being insincere or hypocritical. Dr. Stanley said this in this segment of the book. They have a greater ability to be wounded themselves, so they are highly vulnerable to feeling emotional pain. They're highly vulnerable to feeling emotional pain. Part of their ability to empathize comes from their own situations where they've been hurt. Hey, I don't want someone else to feel the way that I've been hurt. I don't want someone else to go through what I've been through and they use that as fuel to ensure that someone is someone else isn't hurt the way that they were now i'm going to make sure that this doesn't happen again they understand the principle from second corinthians chapter one and verse number four where it says who comforteth us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of god 
They understand I've been comforted in my life. So I'm going to use that comfort and I'm going to share that comfort that I've experienced with someone else. I'm going to use that as a channel and I'm going to exert those situations that I've suffered through and I'm going to channel that and use that to encourage someone else. The spiritual gift of mercy. C.S. Lewis said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world, shouting to us through our pain. And those with the spiritual gift of mercy are sitting right there to say, let me tell you what God did for me. Let me tell you how I was hurting and God ministered to me to speak comfort to someone else. Sixth, those with the gift of mercy have a great need for friendship. Now there's two sides to this coin. They're always helping others with their hurts, so they tend to not focus on themselves. They're so trying to make sure, hey, I'm going to check on this person uh, today and I'm going to make sure that this person has a meal tomorrow and I'm going to make sure that I uh, send a card on Thursday to this person because uh, I miss them at church on Sunday. They're so focused on others that they tend to neglect themselves. Tend to forget that, hey, I, I need encouragement. I need somebody to pour into my life. I need someone to, uh, that I can help, that I can be encouraged by. Uh, but the people they do latch on to, they do so with a deep sense of commitment to them. Typically when they help someone, try and rally around someone, encourage someone, if that person falls, off, falls by the wayside, uh, that person doesn't come back to church, that person uh, grieves more so and they walk away from the Lord, that person with a spiritual gift of mercy almost dies the death because a part of what they were trying to help has walked away. They feel personally responsible because they couldn't help that person. They couldn't see that person back into the fold and they take it very personally. And that's why people with a spiritual gift of mercy need a good core group of friends. They need people around them to encourage them when they're hurt, when they go through suffering. Uh, when I'm running around all the time trying to help others, I need to know that someone loves me. Someone is there for me uh, because I might not just take the time to stop and sit. Someone might have to grab me as I run by <laughs> helping someone else. Uh, they also don't have time, this is just a side note, uh, because of the friendship aspect, they don't have time for people with a critical spirit. Because people who are critical are typically critical of others who are hurting. And that hurts someone with a spiritual gift of mercy. And I ain't got time. You're going to criticize them or criticize this family or this person who might not be like everybody. I ain't got time for that. I don't have time for that person because they're critical. The fact that a critical spirit weighs on them, distracts them from what brings them joy, and that's helping someone who's hurting, helping that person. They embrace humility in others. So it's not uncommon for them to be connected with people who are humble, 
people who also have that gift where they can draw strength from one another. So number seven, this is the last nature. Those with the gift of mercy are reluctant to speak against any person regardless of what he or she has done. They're reluctant to speak against any person regardless of what he or she has done. Remember, they can't, they don't like being around critical people. But they struggle and fight that battle inwardly of, I don't want to be that critical person. I don't want to, you know, feel like I, I, can, I can encourage and I can love and I can support, but I struggle at times telling somebody the truth in love. I struggle at times uh, calling someone out when they're wrong because they feel like that contradicts their gift. They feel like that contradicts who they are. I want to love on everybody and I want to encourage everybody and I want to be there for everybody, but I struggle with telling somebody the hard truth. Spiritual gift of mercy. No problem with the in love portion of speaking the truth in love. Hey, that's covered. But they struggle with the but speaking the truth portion. That's a, it's a pull. Uh, and remember, mercy should be balanced with justice. There should be an equal balance. We can't sacrifice speaking out to avoid hurting someone's feelings or not speak up when someone's been wronged. We have to balance that out. God, remember, God's merciful, but God is equally righteous and holy. He has that balance. So the problem comes for someone with this gift when they choose not to speak up against evil. That person who has been hurt who decides that they're going to use that hurt as ammunition to hurt someone else. And I see it happen. Now I have an obligation to tell that person who has done the wrong, hey, brother, sis, hey, we're trying to help and I want to encourage you, but that was wrong. I tend to stop at the, hey, I, I want to encourage you and I want to help you, but I have a hard time saying you were wrong. Hurting people hurt people. Hurting people hurt people. And the person with the gift of mercy is trying to be that salve that protects and calms hurting people before they hurt people. Because mercy givers try to avoid conflict, sometimes they avoid confrontation. You ever heard somebody, I don't like confrontation. I'm not a confrontational person. I would rather not say anything at all than to get in the middle of confrontation. Could it be that that person has the spiritual gift of mercy? Because that is an evidence. That we've got to be careful to strike the balance and do what is right regardless of whether or not we feel like it. It might not be popular. It might not be what we want to do. But right is still right. And if wrong has taken place, it may fall on us to speak into that situation. Nature. Number two, cautions to guard against. There are some things that stand out, but what about the things that we need to be aware of? What are some things that are cautions? If you have the spiritual gift of mercy, what are some things that you need to know that put in your arsenal of these are things that I may struggle with? Number one, people with this spiritual gift must avoid being emotional to the point of losing sight of the greater purpose of God. Now remember this morning uh, in the message, sometimes God's plan is for a person to be broken for his plan to unfold in their life. Uh, the Tozer quote 
that I've said, I heard years ago another pastor friend said it, and I've repeated it often. Uh, God cannot use a man greatly until he hurts that man deeply. God cannot use a man greatly until he hurts that man deeply. Uh, Psalm 120, David said, I, In my distress I cried unto the Lord, and he heard me. In my distress I cried unto the Lord, and he heard me. When we suffer, it's easy for us to focus on the hurt rather than on the healer. When we hurt, it's easy for us to focus on the hurt instead of the healer. But he allows hardships at times in our life to, to grow, for us to grow, for us to mature. And someone with the spiritual gift of mercy has to remember God may be using that in someone's life to strengthen them. Well, you know, Pastor, I want to encourage them. I want to be a blessing. What can I do? Sometimes the best thing we can do is pray. Sometimes we can say, hey, I'm here for you if you need anything. Love you. And step back. Uh, how many of you, we all know this, but how many of us really recognize you can't help somebody who doesn't want the help? Now, I can swim out in the water to somebody who's drowning, and if I'm not careful, I can drown in the process trying to help somebody. That person can fight me to the death and me die in the process of trying to rescue them. We've got to know what the point is where we step back and we say, hey, God, you've got to do something because I've done everything I can do. And there are people in our life that we can look back and say, you know, Pastor, I tried to help them. I tried to be an encouragement. I tried to bless, be a blessing to them. But I did everything that I can do. And I can't do anything else. Uh, there are times in the church when you love on people and you try and minister to people. And people still make mistakes. People still mess up. And you reach out to them and you try and encourage them and say, Hey, brother, sis, come on, come back. Come back. Don't, don't go out there. Uh, come, come back. Make some things right. And they keep going farther and farther and farther and farther. There comes a point where you have to say, Lord, they're in your hands. I can't do anything else. I tried. I can go to bed with a clear conscience that I did my best. And there are times you have the spiritual gift of mercy. You're going to have to discover and know where is the line. And I can help this person up to a certain point. And once they go beyond that point, I'm done. I, I've done everything that I can do. And I believe as believers, we should be able to say, Lord, I did my best. I did everything that I could do. I tried, I reached out, I tried to help, I tried to encourage, I tried to bless. But at the end of the day, that person decided they were going to do what they wanted to do in spite of what I was trying to help. And you have to let them go. It's kind of like the, the prodigal son. You know, the, the prodigal's dad... Uh, which is great if you've ever, um, uh, Tim Keller wrote a book several years ago, um, the, prodigal's, the prodigal's father, the, prodi the prodigal dad or something like that, uh, talking about the emphasis of the story there in Luke that was not on the prodigal but on the father who was faithful the entire time, who reached out to the son, who lovingly watched that son walk away. But that prodigal's father was still there on the porch, waiting every day. How did he know that when he was a great way off, his father saw him? Because the father was looking for him every single day. He was waiting for him to come over the hill and come back home. 
So the emphasis is not on the son, even though a lot of, uh, a lot of emphasis is there. The emphasis is on the father. The mercy and the forgiveness and the faithfulness of the father. But how many times do we have to let people walk away? And we have to be the father and let them. We just have to say, hey God, they're in your hands. They belong to you. James chapter 1 and verse 3 and 4. Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Verse 4. But let patience have her perfect work. That almost implies that I get a choice. Hey, am I going to allow patience to be cultivated? Am I going to allow patience to do that work in that person's life? And allow the Lord to cultivate that person into what he wants them to be? I can't go and jump in and try and save everybody. Sometimes I have to say, hey, here's a lifeline. I'm going to throw it out, but you've got to choose whether or not you're going to take it. So let patience. Don't let your emotions cloud what God is trying to do. Number two, a person with a spiritual gift of mercy must guard against being weak and indecisive. Now this goes back to number seven, the last one we talked about, uh, where they're reluctant to speak out against wrong. Sometimes in our desire not to speak because of what it might bring, we allow our strength to become our weakness. We allow our spiritual gift, instead of exercising our spiritual gift, we hide our spiritual gift. We allow that strength to undermine who we are, who God designs and desires us to be. It can cause us to hesitate when the Lord wants us to act. Uh, it's better to move and slow down than not move at all. It's better to be on the road and try and help and have to t take a step back than to sit back and wait and let somebody crash and burn. I, I want to try and at least let my presence be known that I can try and get involved, but I could always pull back if I need to. Never forget, we can always encourage someone by reminding them to turn to the Lord and remind them of His promises, His faithfulness, without really offering anything from us. Hey, there's nothing, cost me nothing to walk up to somebody and say, hey brother, I just want you to know I'm praying for you. I'm not involved. I haven't exerted a lot of effort and energy. Now I still need to pray for that person because I told them that I was going to. But that has cost me very little sacrifice as far as my involvement. Now I may say, hey brother, let me take you to lunch, let me buy you a cup of coffee, let me, and that takes a little bit more. But I can always ramp it up or dial it back if I need to once I initiate the process. I can always start and then I can slow down based on the pace of the other person. But I need to move. Sometimes all somebody needs to know is that they're not alone. They've got somebody with them in their corner. Number three, they have to guard against being too quick to draw conclusions in defense of those who are being hurt. They have to guard against being too quick to draw conclusions in defense of those who are being hurt. This goes back to number one, the emotional side. We can try to wrongly explain someone's trial or hurt when it might just simply be God trying to use a situation to teach them something. Imagine somebody comes in Wednesday night for church and, hey, how's, how'd, how'd your day go today? How's your week been? 
oh man, man, the devil is just fighting me. The devil is, is just really battling me at work. And this boss that I have, man, they are Satan reincarnated and just giving me a hard time. And we could just say, you know what? Most bosses are like that. Uh, we can try and dismiss it. But what the Lord may be trying to do is develop a burden for that individual to share Christ with that boss. And I can just dismiss it. I can be merciful and say, you know what? All bosses are like that. You know, it'll get better. Good luck. You know? Or I can say, you know what, brother? Let's, let's pray for that boss. And let's pray and see how God wants you to minister in that situation. I can spin it around and say, what is God trying to do? I can dismiss or I can say, let's see what God's doing. But I get a say-so. I can flip that switch as someone with a spiritual gift of mercy. I can speak into that and redirect that person to where their attention is on the Lord. And how does the Lord want me to serve in this situation rather than just dismissing it? What about, you know, someone tells you, you know, we're, we're, my, my spouse and I, we're just struggling. You know, you can say, you know what, we all go through rough patches. And you can dismiss it, or you can spin it and say, well, what, what, uh, what about praying? What, what can we pray about? How can we, how can we pray for your marriage? Uh, what, maybe what's, what do you think God's trying to show you? What, what do you think God's trying to teach you together? By drawing a conclusion, I can draw attention away from God's ultimate purpose. I can draw somebody away from a spiritual emphasis by putting on something fleshly or worldly or just not, it's not going to make a difference. It does me no harm for me to simply point people to the Lord and encourage them, hey, just keep trusting the Lord. Hey, just look, look to the Lord and ask Him to help you. Ask Him to guide you. Ask Him to show you what is He trying to teach you. It costs you nothing and it takes no time. Uh, number four, this is a big one. They must guard against being too forward in their desire to minister to others with their presence, forgiveness, and kindness. It's easy to want to be close to someone who's hurting. Uh, someone who is going through a rough patch. Someone who is uh, in pain. Someone who's uh, go going through a trial. But I have to remember that there are still personal boundaries that have to be maintained. You know, it's, it's easy. Scott, come here, man, for just a second. Let me use Scott uh, for a second. Because Scott is an easygoing person, you know. He's super chill. I don't think I've ever seen Scott <laughs> upset, all right. Uh, so Scott comes to me and says, man, I've got a burden and, uh, you know, I'm just struggling. It's easy for me to just be like, oh, man, oh, let's pray together. God, do something in Scott's life. And, I'm all yeah, exactly. There it is. And Scott's like, I ain't never telling the preacher anything else. Ever. If I get that response, no. All right. Uh, so let's flip that around. Thanks, Scott. You can go sit down. All right. I won't have Elizabeth come up. But if that's my response with Elizabeth, she's going home. Honey, you need to go over to the preacher's house and talk to him about how he embarrassed me and embarrassed himself. So there is a line. I have to remember there are still personal boundaries. But when someone's hurting, 
the person with a spiritual gift of mercy wants to cling, wants to grab onto that person. Oh, I'm so sorry. But we also have to remember that there are still boundaries. And we've got to remember where that line is. I can, I can let someone know that I care, but I also have to remember, okay, this is not my spouse. This is not my family. This is someone that is a brother or sister in Christ, and I have to respond accordingly. Does that make sense? All right. I could comfort someone in their hurt, but I could step over a line and put someone in an awkward situation and harm my testimony in the process. Make someone feel uncomfortable. Uh, imagine me hearing of a lady who is struggling or someone who uh, is hurting, and in an effort to try and console her, I send her a message personally, hey, I'm here for you, I'm praying for you, I love you, uh, let me know if you need anything. That can be taken a couple different ways. It would be better for me to say, hey, Michelle, you need to reach out to this lady because she's struggling and I heard about it, you need to connect with her. Then Michelle says, hey, I love you, I'm praying for you, I'm here for let me know if you need anything. Nobody thinks a word. Nobody thinks anything. Hey, it's, it's fine. But we have to be careful. The smallest acts of kindness can be misread and make someone uncomfortable. This point is all about appearance. Remember Paul said, avoid, abstain from the appearance of evil. I'll never forget Garrison's. It came to our house and uh, reached out. We reached out to Casey and Heather uh, right after they started coming, and we texted them because uh, you guys were new to the church and wanted to be uh, trying to connect into the college ministry. This is so comfortable for, for Casey to be called out in the church. And uh, Adam, just hold her hand. Uh, but we texted them, but when I texted, I included Michelle. And your dad said, I just want to thank you for texting the girls, but thank you for including Michelle so it wasn't awkward. Okay, and I don't. I say that because it was encouragement for me to hear that somebody noticed that I included Michelle in a text message. But it was also flipped that around. It was also a dad letting me know as another dad, hey, that would not have been okay for you to just text my daughter. And now Adam's like, you don't text my woman uh, without including me. But uh, no, I'm kidding. But. When we look at this line, we have to know where the line is. We cannot put someone in an uncomfortable, an uncomfortable situation. It's best to extend this gift of mercy to those of the same gender to avoid it appearing as an act of romantic love or saying something that we have no intention of saying. Oh, Pastor, that's not what I meant to say, but that's how they perceive it. Be very cautious. I could buy a lady a cup of coffee as a random act of kindness. I could send a note of encouragement to a single girl in the church. And even though it might have good intentions, it may not be perceived that way. Uh, Michelle and I have made a practice. Uh, very rarely will we send text messages to someone who's not our spouse, opposite gender. Very rarely without including either each other or that person's spouse or someone else in the family. Why? We don't ever want somebody to get the wrong idea. We don't ever want somebody to get the wrong impression. Uh, we don't, I, I don't offer a ride to someone who's not my spouse, a lady who's not my spouse, by myself. Uh, 
love you ladies. Brotherly love. But if you were standing on the side of the road in a rainstorm and a car broke down, I'm going to pull up next to you and I'm going to call AAA, but you can't get in my car. I love you. Uh, I have one pastor friend in Kentucky said, if I drove by and a lady without my, and I was in my car by myself, and I drove by a lady in the pouring down rain, and her car was broke down, she's trying to fix her tire, I would wave at her as I drove by. <laughs> and uh, I don't think I'm that heartless. But anyway, uh, I'll stop and call AAA from my car, but you can't get in my car. Uh, I'll say, get back in your car. But you know what I'm saying. There is a line, and we need to make sure that we don't cross the line, that an act of mercy doesn't cross the line, doesn't make someone feel uncomfortable. Fifthly, this is lastly, they must be cautious that acts of mercy and love do not cross the line. Kind of speaking back, but, but going forward, Jesus is the example of this gift. He's the ultimate example of every spiritual gift. But this gift, remember he taught the principle in Matthew chapter 5, verse 41, when he said, and whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. We might call it going the extra mile. That's where the principle came from. Under Roman law, a Roman citizen could stop a Jew and demand them to carry any kind of burden pack item for them up to one mile. Most historians believe that Jewish families, depending on how old they were, how tall they were, what their gait was, they had a mile counted out. So when they got to that step, they could literally drop whatever pack they were carrying, whatever burden they were carrying, and they would say, you know what? Done. Done. I've carried it long enough. I have fulfilled my obligation, and I'm done. I don't have to carry it any further. This is my bag. So I've carried this a mile, and here you go. There it is. I'm done. I'm not carrying it anymore. But Jesus said, instead of dropping it a mile... When you get to that point, keep going. Can you imagine the look on the Romans' face when they say, well, hey, we, haven't we reached a mile? And you're still walking? Yeah, I'll carry it too. It's fine. That's abnormal. That's different. That's unheard of. Why would someone do that? And Jesus is teaching the principle, go the extra mile. Don't be, hey, I'm just I'm going to be a rule follower. And we all know those people. By the rules, man, I'm not going to break a rule. I'm a rule follower. Jesus said, go extra. Don't just be someone who's to the letter of the rule, but go above and beyond. Go the extra mile. He's commanding to everybody. But the person with the spiritual gift of mercy doesn't have to be asked. This is their default. I'm somebody who goes above and beyond. They're looking for ways to help and show others that they care. I, I don't have a problem with being asked. Um, remember we talked, there's another one of the spiritual gifts. People with a gift of mercy have a hard time saying no. Why? Because if someone asks me, they must need help. And my default with a spiritual gift of mercy is to help someone who needs help. So they have a hard time saying no in the process. Well, I can walk around and ask people for help all the time. So those people can be taken advantage of. 
Because they, hey, I, I want to help this person, this person, this person, this person, this person. And Liz Campbell says, hey, I'm going to go here this night, and I'm going to help this lady this night, and this night, and I'm going to do all this. And Scott says, hey, you haven't been home in two weeks. What are you doing? We have to know where our line is. I use them an example. They're our neighbors. They're great. So we think about what is my spiritual gift? How do I figure that out? Where do I fall? He that showeth mercy, verse number 8, with cheerfulness. I don't know why I have to help that person. I don't know why I have to get involved and why they keep asking me all the time. You don't have the spiritual gift of mercy. Because the person with a spiritual gift of mercy is joyful about serving. Is joyful about being a blessing. Is joyful about being asked. Man, they asked me. They, man, it's not a, well, they must be desperate because they asked me. Man, they, they asked me. I, I want to. I said, what did you say? I said, yes. I didn't, have to, I didn't have to pray about it. Should I have prayed about it? I didn't even pray about it because I, I know I want to help. Spiritual gift of mercy. And we've covered seven different gifts from Romans 12. Maybe you've heard your gift. Maybe you haven't yet. Uh, but we've covered seven of them. We'll cover a couple more next week that um, we believe biblically are no longer in effect today. Uh, but we'll talk about that next week. Hope you've uh, enjoyed seeing some of these things in spiritual gifts and uh, we'll talk about two more weeks, and then we'll take a spiritual gift test, and uh, hopefully you'll see your gift. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the day. Uh, thank you for the opportunity we have to be in your word. Uh, Lord, please teach us something from your word, we pray. Please uh, help us to see how we can rightly exercise the spiritual gifts that you have entrusted to us. Please bless us and keep us safe. In Jesus' name, amen. We love you. Look forward